For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening through him who was born for us. Amen. Please be seated. Well, many of us have heard the words of the angels so many times over the years, it's difficult for us to see how shocking and even treasonous they would have sounded in the ancient world. If you're like our family, we hear those words uh, from Linus every year, watching a Charlie Brown Christmas. So we hear those words, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. But these words were treasonous in the ancient world. And here's why, let's have a little context. I'm hearing a little bit of an echo up here. You guys hearing that? Yeah? Anything we can do about that? Good? No? Should I just project without the mic? I'm good? Okay. So, uh, listen, here's a little game. I know, uh, who's playing bingo? Who's playing uh, sermon? Okay, Phil's playing bingo. Um, this is a different game, but similar. So I want you to try to guess who this was written about, okay? Here it is. This is an inscription that was written very close to the time of the birth of Jesus. Providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set a most perfect order by giving us this great one. He was filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind and was sent as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. The birthday of this God was the beginning of the good news for the world. Who is that written about? Caesar, Caesar Augustus, good. Caesar Augustus, the king of the known world. So in the ancient Roman Empire, the, the evangel, the euangelion, the gospel, the glad tidings, what we call the good news, was that Caesar is God, Savior, and Lord. If a city, nation, people accepted this good news, and pledged allegiance to the emperor, they would be saved from destruction and live in peace. It's against this backdrop of imperial propaganda that the herald angel proclaims, no, no, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is, not Caesar, but Christ the Lord. So according to the angel, the real good news, the authentic gospel, is that Jesus, not Caesar, is Savior and Lord. Jesus, not Caesar, is the great liberator king. It is he that will bring to true joy and peace for all the people. As foretold by the prophets, the proclamation of the Christmas angel is that the Christ, or, or the Messiah, which means anointed king, has come. He's come to bring his victory and his reign upon the earth. But our gospel reading reveals that the methods of King Jesus in winning his victory are shockingly antithetical to the methods of Caesar. It's actually the methods of Caesar Augustus where St. Luke begins his account of the birth of Jesus. What's Caesar doing? He's taking a census. He's registering everyone in his vast empire. Why? for the sake of maintaining and growing his power, his honor, his wealth, for his own good pleasure. He's taking a census to exact taxes, to draft soldiers, 
he's taking stock of and expanding his rule over the world. He takes a census in Judea through his governor of Syria, Quirinius. There's a bingo word, kids. But just when we think that these great men, Augustus and Quirinius, are the main characters in this epic, Luke transitions our attention to the real protagonists, a laborer and a teenage girl from the middle of nowhere, a place called Nazareth. So unlike in the Iliad or the Aeneid or the Marvel movies, the high and mighty heroes are not the main players in this story. The great ones are simply pawns that God is using to bring about his purposes. God uses Caesar's census to draw obscure Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, the city of King David, because the prophets foretold that it was to be in Bethlehem that the one, the ruler, the great king, would come. Verse 6, And when they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, where was this king of kings to be born? Surely, the king of the cosmos would be born in a great palace somewhere at the center of the world. No, in the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, which probably in our context would be like a baby being born in the garage, right? There's no room in the motel. The motel is packed, but we could fix up the garage for you, and you can have your baby there. That's where the king of kings was born, in a garage. Unlike the so-called son of the god Caesar, we don't find the authentic son of God in palaces or parliament buildings, nor do we find him in mansions. We find him with the humble and the lowly, in the margins, in poverty. So already we can see that this king is not like Caesar at all. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. So while Caesar is pleased to exercise his powerful autonomy over the world, stretching out his arms in conquest, the one whom heaven can't hold is pleased to be bound in swaddling clothes. And of course, these bands of cloth foreshadow an even greater humility, looking forward to the grave clothes that wrapped him in the cold tomb. If you look at the traditional icon of the nativity, do we, do we have that here? Can you put that up there? There. Can you see that behind me? If you, you'll notice that the stable is in a cave. This comes from a very early tradition that Eastern Christians still keep. The idea is that even Jesus' birth foreshadows his redemptive death. His vocation as king is not to conquer his people, like Caesar, or slay his people, like Herod. Rather, it is to willingly lay down his life for his people. Thus, the beginning of his earthly life is already a sign of his death. He's wrapped in strips of cloth in a cave, which we see again, of course, on Good Friday and Holy Saturday before he rises from the dead. And even on, in this image, look at, the, uh, look at the manger here. What does that look like to you? Crown of thorns. Good. Good segue. Mary laid him in a manger. Kids, what's a manger? What's a manger? Any of you kids know what a manger is? No? 
Anyone speak French? Manger. What does manger mean? To eat. To eat. So a manger is a feeding trough. A feeding trough. We think, oh, Jesus was born and they laid him in a manger and it's this romantic thing. No, he's going where the slops go. He's, he's going where the animals feed. A manger holds food. So while Caesar feasts on the richest food taxed from all over the empire, the king of kings becomes food for lowly creatures. Instead of taxing grain from the people, King Jesus gives himself as the bread of life for the people. He's laid in a manger, the place where the lowly come to feed. So perhaps it's no coincidence that Bethlehem means house of bread. It's the house of the true bread, the bread that comes down from heaven. Okay, so who is the birth of this strange king announced? Surely the birth of the king of kings would be announced to great men like Quirinius, which I think his name means spear wielder. Kind of cool. No, this birth is announced to shepherds. Now, shepherds were on a very low rung of the socioeconomic ladder in ancient times. They were dirty, and they smelled like sheep poop, and they were transient. And in fact, the shepherds never would have been welcomed into Caesar's palace. And yet, they are the first ones to be given an audience with the king of kings. So already we see in the kingdom of Jesus, the last are first and the first are last. But what hope does this child have against the power of Rome? We're talking about this this week. The power of Rome! Somehow, those guys are always English. <laughs> what hope does this child have against the power of Rome? <laughs> With its legion of armies. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly what? Host. Host. Okay, now, you fantasy nerds, and you know who you are. What is a host? What's a host? Is it a choir? It's an army. It's an army. So sometimes we think of angels as cute little cherubs with chubby cheeks and dimples, but in the scriptures, they're anything but. A host is an army. So this isn't just a choir. This is an angelic host, an invisible army made visible for the shepherds, which is why they were, in the King James, sore afraid. So St. Luke is setting up some battle lines here for us. Caesar and his host are lining up against King Jesus and his hosts. But listen, or hark, I should say, today. This conflict comes to its great climax, not in a battle with horses and chariots and bows and spears and guns and tanks, but on a Roman cross. The only spear in this battle is the one that pierced our Lord's side out of which flowed the water of baptism and the wine of his blood, the birth of the church. Pontius Pilate, who was Caesar's representative, had the king of the Jews put to death. But what Rome and the Sanhedrin thought was a victory over another insurrectionist was in fact God's victory over all of the universal enemies in here. So on the cross, all the powers of darkness and evil and sin and death were defeated and disarmed. God's victory was won not with armies, not politically, but spiritually, morally, cosmically, for all time and for all people. The 
question of Christmas, both in the ancient world and today, is this. Who is our king? Is it Jesus or is it Caesar? Caesar is the personification of the pursuits of power, pleasure, honor, and wealth. Now, you might say, well, I don't live for power. I don't live for honor. I'm a good person. I'm not a Caligula. I'm a good, decent citizen. But it's a matter of degrees. Another word for power is simply control. Having things our way. Manipulating people and situations to our advantage. This desire is not just common to tyrants, but it's found in everyone from toddlers to seniors. Another word for honor is credit, acknowledgement, praise, influence. And wealth doesn't just refer to our treasure. We can be misers with our time and our talents and other things as well. So these inclinations are not just proper to emperors. They are proper to every human heart. What's to be done? The remedy is to invite King Jesus to displace Caesar on the throne of our hearts. Jesus is the king of love, but that's not just fluffy sentimentality. Biblically speaking, love means to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. So love is the opposite of the selfish pursuits of power, pleasure, honor, and wealth. What's the opposite of seeking power? Service. What's the opposite of inordinate pleasure-seeking? Seeking to please others. What's the opposite of seeking honor? Humility. The opposite of miserliness, charity, generosity, hospitality. These are all manifestations of love, and Jesus is love in a person. So our gospel reading to, uh, this morning presents the meaning of Christmas in narrative form. Here it is now in theological form, courtesy of St. Paul. Listen to these words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The message of Christianity is that only Jesus can replace Caesar. And Jesus is here, now, amongst us. In Revelation 3, he says, Here I am. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And you'll find that this is actually the theme of many of our Christmas carols, our most beloved Christmas carols. I'm just going to read two stanzas of O Little Town of Bethlehem and we'll conclude with this. Listen to these words. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in to displace Caesar. 
O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angel, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen.